25 miles. Um, let's go to a girls' school. Sounds like a good deal to me. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, I, I am a rock star, that is true. Um, somebody said to me that uh, I would be a rock star um, as long as... I would always be a rock star as long as I didn't become a celebrity. So sometimes, on events like this, I think to myself, whoa, how close is this all getting to celebrity? And, um, and it is a, uh, it's a... It's a strange thing to, um, to be on the cover of the New York Times with, with Paul O'Neill, um, looking like Punch and Judy, and those funny hats. I don't know if you saw those. Um, but... <clears throat> Celebrity is, sadly, uh, just the way it is right now. It's, it's, but I want people to know that I do know it's very, 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 very silly. Um, celebrity is really ridiculous. In fact, it upends God's order of things. Because uh, celebrity means that really uh, wealthy, uh, sometimes wealthy, um, people who are doing what they love for a living, um, often overpaid and overnourished, um, are turned into heroes while nurses and firemen and uh, teachers are uh, not heroes and are completely underpaid, as uh, Frank McCourt said. So I do think that uh, celebrity, we have to just acknowledge that it is a dreadful lurgy, and, uh, but it is currency, and I have it and I want to spend it well. And uh, I want to try and make use of this rather ridiculous situation that I find myself in. Um, hence the ridiculous photograph uh, that Sam's referring to. Um, I was just looking at the, uh, the role of well, just great, extraordinary people, um, photographs of them, and, and a lot of them here, a lot of people I, I know here, people like Quincy Jones who are just an absolute, uh, still an inspiration to me. The President of the United States, still an incredible inspiration to me. Marvin Minsky, uh, a new person in my life, but a, just a great inspiration to me. And I'm, I am really, really happy um, to be here. But I, I saw this uh, picture of Neil Armstrong on the moon. And, you know, when, when John F. Kennedy said, in a decade, we're going to put a man on the moon. I'm not sure the polls were telling him that that's what was on the people of America's mind, that we should have a man on the moon. Um, he had vision and he had foresight. And uh, they say that politics is the art of the possible. But actually, great politicians are all about the impossible. And um, right at the moment, uh, there isn't a huge, huge um, uh, upsurge uh, and uprising against uh, what's happening in the world uh, with the AIDS emergency, particularly in Africa. But I really feel that we have to put a flag in the sand there and say that in 10 years' time, there can be more equality in the world, more equilibrium in the world, and that this thing that looks so impossible which is to stymie the, uh, this AIDS, uh, 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 HIV AIDS, 
virus as it ruins so many lives, that we can actually do something about it. And that is why uh, I've been experimenting on myself and my friends by turning up in unusual photographs or with uh, people you wouldn't expect, like the Secretary of the Treasury of the United States. Um, so I went to Africa with them and uh, spent the last two weeks, just got back, and I uh, didn't have much sleep for the last two weeks, and then <clears throat> fortunately met President Clinton, who doesn't need any sleep, and uh, <laughs> it's been great. Uh, and now uh, Quincy Jones tonight, so uh, I'm not going to be making any sense at all. Um, but let me just tell you about what it's like to, 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 uh, to see around this continent of Africa uh, the ravages of this uh, sort of modern evil. And to meet people who are AIDS workers, to see them as I did in Uganda, to see these, these AIDS workers, these, these are the firemen running up the burning building. These are the, the real heroes. And I watch these people, these AIDS workers, they go town to town educating people about safe sex, etc. And I asked somebody, where does your enthusiasm, you know, where, do their, where does their passion come from? And I was told, well, we're all HIV positive, all of us. And I just thought, that's very strange. Um, these are the firemen running up the burning building. And they know that they're all going to die because they can't afford the dollar a day that it's going to take to keep them alive. I started to think about that. I started to think, well, actually, maybe we can't afford to let them die. It actually might, in really in the coldest, most clinical terms, it might actually be more expensive to retrain the teachers who are dying as fast as you can train them, to, um, to, 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 to look after the orphans, etc. Plus, there's also an argument that <clears throat> If you give people these ARVs, these antiretroviral cocktails, you don't have to treat all the, um, the opportunistic infections that people have um, 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 as they're dying of AIDS. Anyway, I, I met this man, a uh, beautiful, striking man. And he, 28 or something, uh, just looked great, much more of a pop star than I would ever be. Met him in Soweto. And he tells us the story that five years previous, he was half his body weight, and um, he, um, he had scars all over his body from scratching. He had TB, memory loss, all the stuff that goes with HIV AIDS. And then, uh, because he was a, a part of an experiment, Médecins Frontiers, he, uh, he was put on these antiretroviral drugs, completely changed his life, and found them easy to take, you know, could get to them and there was no problem getting on the regime. So we were thinking, this is great news. He said, well, I lost, I have two children. We lost their mother to HIV. She, she didn't get on the drugs in time. We said, that's terrible. And he said, well, I have a new love in my life, actually. And uh, that's presented me with quite a dilemma. We said, what's that? He said, well, she's not on these antiretrovirals. So we either share the drugs and both die slowly. I give her my drugs 
and my two children lose their last parent, or I keep the drugs for myself and I lose the love of my life. And I just thought, this is really not acceptable in a civilized society. And I thought about AIDS, you know, in the Middle Ages. The only comparison is probably with the bubonic plague, uh, which took out a third of Europe in the Middle Ages. Now imagine if China had had the, resource, the resources, say, and the technologies to deal with the bubonic plague, but hadn't. Imagine how history would judge, say, China. Well, that's where we are right now. And <clears throat> so we're trying to convince the American people, people of Europe, that actually there's an incredible opportunity here to do something extraordinary. People are dying for the stupidest of reasons, money. And I think that rather than this being a depressing tale, this could be a really, really inspiring tale. And the students that are here might be the generation that actually turns this around. Not just the AIDS uh, emergency, but this whole relationship between the developed world and the developing world, which has been so wrong for so long, hundreds of years, dysfunctional relationship. At the beginning of the 21st century, wouldn't it be extraordinary to try and put that right? Um, I'm involved in a, in a group uh, called DATA. The three pressing uh, issues facing Africa, in our opinion, are debt, AIDS, and trade, trying to get fair trade. A lot of these the poorest countries in the world are not allowed trade with the United States or Europe. So in return for that, we're demanding democracy, accountability, and transparency in Africa. So the acronym works both ways. This is our plan for how we can try and move forward. And I'm available to uh, take any questions on it later. Thank you.